Bruce Milne is a pastor of First Baptist Church in Vancouver. He says this. In John the Baptist, here was a preacher prepared to live by the message he preached, which goes a long way to explain why he made such an impact. In a time when public trust in Christian leaders is at an all-time low, the world is in desperate need of preachers who are prepared to mortgage their personal ambitions and popularity out of a consuming concern for Jesus' preeminence and the advance of his cause. I attended some training at the Norwich Diocese, a part of my role this week, and we were looking at, and it was explained, about how leadership exists on different levels, not just by the few in the ivory tower of local church. And if this social scene was indeed the case on John the Baptist's day, and if the description I've just given fits our own time in society, I want to encourage you this evening... I want to encourage you, for the sake of Jesus' cause, to answer the one question that Jesus asks in this passage. What do you want, really? And I want to encourage you to answer that with, to practice what I preach and engage in God's mission. Now, today, informally, is bring your cricket back to work day. So, Will this morning nearly lost his cricket bat as Matty Sexton was swiping at a uh, piñata stroke the golden calf. Um, But it went well. Um, Holy Trinity, I've put out a really good appearance for the Norwich Diocese cricket side this year. And um, one of the games that I was playing at, um, Will had just got out to one of the worst balls that I was seeing bowled all season. And it was, it was my turn to go in. So what was needed was me to go in and, and play a team effort. For those that don't play cricket, what was needed was a good display of some nice forward defensive, a bit of proper play, and a good bit of run scoring and building. A team effort. What they actually got on my part was some complete unadulterated hacking at trying to get a six every ball, which resulted in um, two fantastic fours three even better misses and the next over being caught out on the boundary. Um, I was not about the right cause. I was um, kind of wanting to look a bit good. Uh, I had a bit of what we call a shadow mission that suited me, benefited me. It was kind of going to make me look good and make me feel good. Um, It didn't work. I got out. I wasn't about the right cause. I knew what the right cause was, but it was about my own. I suppose in as much as this is an individual question, what do you want? It's also a whole church question. Um, So in 2016, what would say as a church we want? Well, I think the answer is to engage with the mission of God. Well, great. Tonight, I challenge us to expose and rid ourselves of whatever our shadow mission might be, to glorify something other than Jesus Christ and to follow the example here set by John. Turn with me to page 1064 in your church Bible, if you've not got it open already. John's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 29. I think John the Baptist, who 
um, was the previous mentor of these two would-be disciples of Jesus, shows us by his words and his actions whether he is about Jesus' cause or his own. I think he shows us how to be about Jesus' cause. And what I'm going to do, because it was recommended to me as a good idea about half an hour ago, I'm going to put this into four points for tonight. Point number one. To engage with the mission of God, have a humble and honest understanding of ourself, that Christ may be clearly seen. John's got a humble and honest understanding of himself. The people don't. We're told in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, that the people were waiting expectantly and wondered in their hearts if John might be the Christ. The previous part of the Gospel, from verses 19 to 28, it shows John being questioned by some Pharisees, who, it was suggested in commentaries, have come from the local Sanhedrin uh, representatives at the time. And they'd come to check out what had probably been reported to them as John's preaching and his baptism of repentance that he was engaging in. And John has got a humble and honest assessment of himself. The questions are, are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. I wonder what kind of questions they would be to have a humble and honest assessment of ourselves today. Um, Can you save the modern church? No. Not on my own. Are you better than other Christians? Um, No. I think anybody that knows me can vouch for that. Um, Is your identity prophesied in the Bible? No. I'm me. Who are you then? Give us an answer so we can take it back to those that have sent us what it says. And then what is a famous and well-known passage um, originating from Isaiah 40, verse 3. I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Our passage tonight is then teed up by a statement that John makes in verse 27. And it's the key passage for me showing John's example of this first point. It says, But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Point two. To engage with the mission of God, proclaim with words and actions your testimony about who Jesus is. Here we are. People surrounding, Pharisees attending, people abounding. It's an outreach worker's dream. The next day, John saw Jesus coming. Now, the whole of John's ministry has been about pointing people towards Jesus. And yes, baptisms and preaching. And here we are at this point. Jesus is walking over. Now, John might, must have, if it was me, I would have gone through this a thousand times in his mind. What am I possibly going to do at this point when the guy arrives, incarnate Jesus, who I've been pointing people towards? And John says this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. In other words, it isn't about me. Forget asking me if I'm the Christ. This guy is God. John goes on to explain that his ministry and his work was to point out this guy to God's people. What is God saying to us here? Is he saying, do you want to dwell with me for my glory? Or do you want me to fit your plan for your glory? Let me take a risk for a minute. This year, I'll be seeking to work with our church's 20 outreach groups. 
and it's for the common purpose of God's glory in our parish. Will I encounter, I'm not being critical, but it's a question, will I encounter content people and Christ being honoured, or people who want God to be content with them being honoured? I think actually we fit, we fit the first part of that, and there's lots of really good work going on. John then testifies, as he's done with his actions, and now does with his words, that Jesus is the Christ. Not just once, though. Verse 35, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The symbol of the Lamb would have been prominent in this society. So daily sacrifices at the temple, atonement for sin, um, this people's um, more immediate history of the Exodus and the imagery and the blood being painted on the door lintels. And in wondering how to explain the wording that John chooses when, when he introduces Jesus, I'm going to tag team a guy called J.C. Ryle, uh, who is a minister in the 19th century. <clears throat> and I was reading this, and I'm, I'm going to read it to you. He says this. Others could say that our Lord was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of David, the King of Israel, the Son of the Blessed who has come into the world, but none seems to have so clearly as John seen that Christ was a sacrifice for sin. The Lamb was to be slain. Ryle goes on to say, well would it be for the church in the 19th century if all its ministers possessed as much knowledge of Christ's atonement as is here shown by John the Baptist. John saw the vicarious sacrifice of Christ before he died on the cross. Many so-called Christians cannot see Christ's vicarious sacrifice even at this day. Strong words. On the back of John's testimony, the first two would-be disciples, Andrew and one other, who may believe was the uh, John Gospel writer, followed Jesus. I wonder what Ryle saw or or didn't see in the 19th century that had prompted this message um, from God's come through him. And I'd guess that he saw actions and words that showed people about their own cause, not Jesus's. And what does Jesus say next to these two? It's not a grand monologue of his greatness. Um, It's not, watch this miracle, Kazam. Uh, It's not, do you know who I am? But he questions the point in these two, that I think in this sermon, I believe God wants us to address. And it's that question, what do you want, really? Now, five different Bibles put this five different ways. King James Version of the Bible says, what seek ye? And that helps with the language. Um, The English Standard Version is the same. The NIV says, what do you want? Um, I'm going to be brave because I think the best interpretation is from the Message Bible in this. Have a word with me later on. (laughs) This is what it says in the Message. What are you after? I think the text um, and the original wording does help. Um, It means to remain with or to dwell with, showing that Jesus wasn't just annoyed, questioning why these two were following him, but in hopeful anticipation was asking them where their hearts were at. Is it God's mission or their own shadow mission? The disciples saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. Point three. To engage with the mission of God, accept the invitation to come and see 
and go along for the ride of your life. You hear of people who meet somebody famous, and, and after that, <clears throat> the, the usual response is, oh, they were great, they were fantastic, they were marvellous. My little sister-in-law has just got um, engaged, and the way that the guy did it um, was to get Kelly Jones from the Stereophonics, is that right? Yeah, great. To write it in a card, and then at a concert, he was down on one knee, card in one hand, um, and popped the question, um, completely showing up how I'd asked her sister to marry me. But, um, yeah. And she said, she said yes, luckily. Um, but imagine spending a day with, with the incarnate Jesus. Listen to Andrew's response, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, from this point on, John the Baptist, he starts to fade out from the annals of biblical history. Um, I reckon there's serious cause for us to recognise that at some point it might be right for us to step back. Let God take over, possibly with somebody new. But if that's your calling, and if you're at that stage, then step back. Do so as John the Baptist does. From a point of integrity and a point of heart, your modern-day version of Andrew and Simon will come along and they will discover their identity in Christ Before you know it, the mission of God is happening all around you, baby. It's going on. I'm going to be naughty, move to where I think the final point of this message can be found. And in the knowledge that we're not doing a sermon series on John, um, I can trespass into chapter 3. And it's between verses 22 and 36. If you wanted to turn there, I'll give you a minute just to find that. So here, John's being questioned by a Jew. He's seen Jesus baptising more people than him. And indeed, he's saying to him, everybody is going to this other guy. And John replies in a way that I think it makes the fourth point that I want to make. Even in what might look like a dying ministry, or the numbers are going down, or somebody else's flavour of the month, John reminds people that he only ever worked for God's glory. And that he has joy in the success of God's mission, not his own, testifying, he must become greater and I must become less. Point four, to engage with the mission of God, remind yourself to have joy in Christ being made greater, even if that means you becoming less. So, there's a lot in here, um, but in answering the question, what do you want? I hope it's engaged with the mission of Jesus Christ, practising what you preach, by having a humble and honest understanding of ourselves so that Christ may be clearly seen. Proclaim with words and actions your testimony about who Jesus is. Let him do his thing, and you just go along for the ride. And find joy in Christ being made greater, even if that means yourself becoming less. So, in the role of LPA outreach, I've got eight months left. Um, I've had a good time, and I've enjoyed being here, we've worked really hard. Um, I was really challenged by this, and I was thinking, what is it I can say that I want throughout the last eight months of me being in that role? And I'm going to challenge myself, this is what I want, I'm going to challenge myself to be it. 
It's to have grown more like Christ, as I've sought to help you grow. Having worked hard in action and word to tell people about Jesus Christ, finishing this part of the race not under my own steam, but holding on to the coattails of Christ, and filled with a joy that has come from seeing God direct this church in engaging with the mission of Christ. But that's enough about me. Final question at the end of the sermon. What do you want? Really? And we'd usually finish with a prayer. I'm not going to do that, um, but I will ask if we have a minute. I want you to just pray yourself now. Um, and maybe pray about what it is to answer that question. What do you want, really? And if we can spend a minute just doing that.